Hey, Drew Dixon from Love Thy Nerd, back with you. I'm the chief content nerd at Love Thy Nerd, and uh, this is Bible Thump. This is where I smack you upside the head with the Bible until you're in deep, deep pain, and uh, and and you feel bad. So that's what we're going to do, is to try and make you feel bad. Now, um, the goal here is just to open up the Bible and find some encouragement. And so I've been doing this series on identity, and we've unpacked what I believe is the Bible's definition of identity, the Bible's design, the way um, Scripture uh, sort of intends what God designed human beings for according to the Bible. And so, um, what we've seen is that what makes human beings unique according to the Bible, what what drives our, our identity, when I say identity, I'm talking about who you are, who I am, who all human beings are at the most fundamental level, what we were designed and intended to do. Um, you know, who we are, and then our place in the world. That's what we're talking about when we talk about identity. And so, the Bible has what I believe is some really good news about who we are, about our identity. And we see that at the very beginning, that God made human beings in His image. He breathed into them the breath of life, according to Genesis 2, and according to Genesis 1, He made every human being, female, male, uh, every human being, if you're human, you're made in God's image. And so that tells us that God designed us for three things at least. He made us to rule. So we saw that that's a royal image. He made us to work. We see that part of bearing God's image apparently is to join him in the work of bringing order, beauty, and benefit out of that which is formless and void. And 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 essentially, our job in the world is to do good work and make the world a better place. So we spent a couple weeks talking about work and how uh, a lot of times it's difficult and toilsome, it's thorns and thistles, but God intends for it to be of benefit to us and wants us wants to use us to work in the world. And most of our jobs do this, by the way. Most of our jobs make the world a better place. We just don't realize it. But how can we engage and work in a way that will bring glory to God? and then love and serve and honor and make the lives of our neighbors better. Uh, and then the final thing that we've seen is that part of what it means to bear God's image, it means to reflect His glory, His goodness back into the world. Um, we exist to reflect God's glory and beauty and justice to the world, to everyone around us. So today I want to wrap up what it means to reflect God's glory, what it means to reflect, what it means to be an image bearer in terms of reflecting the glory of God. Um, and so last week I read this passage from Colossians chapter 3, and we talked a lot about heaven. And we talked about heaven because um, our vision of how things are going to end is going to have a lot to say about how we live in the present. How we think, how we think things are going to go down in the end is going, to, is going to have a big impact on how we live now, or it should, right? Uh, and so there's this common Christian assumption about heaven that it's this magical, disembodied place where we go when we die. And there's a few places in the Bible that kind of lean that way, but mostly when the Bible talks about heaven, it talks about a renewed existence. Um, heaven is the realm of God, and the way the Bible envisions it is heaven, the realm of God, where God lives and where God's justice is expressed perfectly, is going to invade our world and resurrect and renew it. And so, the vision of the Bible is not so much a doing away of, destroying, a trashing of this world and starting anew, but it's a renewal, it's a resurrection, it's a healing of this broken world. Um, and so, that's why Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, pray then like this. 
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth. Here, the earthly realm where we live and where we do life, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So, Jesus is the embodiment of heaven invading earth, of God's space invading human space. And we see that in the sense that Jesus took on human flesh and dwelt among us, and he, and then, you know, he sets about to, in his earthly ministry, to making right everything that's wrong with the world. I mean, Jesus' ministry is a picture of him, of God, um, crushing the head of Satan, of, of God uh, undoing what the fall has, all the damage the fall has done. So, he heals diseases. He casts out demons. Everything that's broken about our world, he begins to heal. He touches people with leprosy and heals them. He um, loves the outcast. Uh, He ministers to people in need. Um, He does all these things that demonstrate uh, what the kingdom of God looks like. And so, this is what Paul says in Colossians 3. This gives us a vision of life as renewed people, as renewed image bearers. This is what Paul says in Colossians 3. So, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming on the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them, but now put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in the knowledge, in knowledge according to the image of your Creator." Do you see that? You're being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your Creator. In Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also are to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. So, while Paul doesn't mention heaven in this passage, he does command us to seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. In other words, we're to think about where God is. That's heavenly language. This is Psalm 110 language. Uh, Set your mind on the king and on his kingdom. And I believe that's a little bit closer to what we ought to be thinking of when we think about uh, Christ's heavenly reign. Um, and so, here we get a vision of what a glorious heavenly kingdom that has invaded earth might look like. Um, and Paul tells us, by the way, that we're resurrected creatures. According to Paul, if you're a Christian, you are at present now, as we speak, a resurrected being, a new human. And so, Paul's exhortation to put off and put on, to put on all these 
all these good things and put off all these bad things, to put to death and to put on is not a summons to to get real introspective and think, oh, where am I doing good? Where am I doing bad? But a summary of who we are now, our new, renewed, resurrected identity, what we are to be about and what we are to go out into the world and do. It lays out our primary business as renewed image bearers of the king. And so, I hinted at this last week, and I want to make it really clear. Like, Jesus is the model human being. He's the one human being in the history of humanity that got it right, that got human nature right, that got it right, that got the human project right, that did did the whole human thing well. And so, um, this is what Paul says in Colossians 1, 15. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. We were made to image God, to reflect God. Well, Jesus is the perfect reflection of God in his glory. You want to know who God is and what he's like? Look at Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Paul says in, in Colossians 1.16, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him... To reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So we see both who Jesus is there and Jesus' vocation, his job, his focus, his goal in the world. And that was to reconcile to himself all things. So now let's go back to Colossians 3. Paul says in Colossians 3, 9, don't lie to one another seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices. If Christ is reconciling all things to himself, here's what Paul says we ought to do. Don't lie. Stop uh, clouding the truth. Stop spreading rumors about people. Why? Because that's the old way. That's pre-resurrection thinking. And he says, don't do these things because you've put off the old self and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there's not Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? There's a lot we could say about this, about what the image of God might entail, but the heart of the concept is simply this. We exist to image our creator, to reflect his glory, to reign and rule and subdue the earth as his under-shepherds, to express his goodness and glory in the world he's placed us in. So, the story Paul's telling and the story the Bible tells is not one of dying and going to heaven, but one of reconciliation, resurrection, and renewal. And according to Paul, if you trust Jesus, if you believe in him, this resurrection has already taken place and is now bearing fruit in all kinds of ways in your life. In other words, Jesus' resurrection isn't just a fact, but a power that has authority over our present world experience. And our resurrection isn't just a future promise, but a present reality. If you've been raised with Christ, seek things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. This means to set yourself to focusing your life, your energy, your mind, your body, your strength, 
on the resurrected Jesus, the forever King who sits exalted at the right hand of God, having conquered sin and death. Set your mind to thinking not only in the reality, on the reality of the resurrection, but on its power over your life and the lives of people around you. Its power over life and death, but also its power to bear fruit in your present reality. So, what does this look like? Um, here's the test for whether Paul's making sense or not to us. Read through the list of things he says we ought to put off. This list of sexual and speech-related behaviors in verses in Colossians five, um, sorry, Colossians three, verses five through nine. Read through those verses, and then read through the things he said we ought to put we ought to put on instead. The the good attitudes and behaviors we ought to put on in verses twelve through seventeen. And so, ask yourself this. Suppose there was a town in your, in your part of the country where everybody acted or behaved in the way described in verses 5 through 9. Um, I'll read those again. So, uh, therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual morality. You know, th- there's this town where everyone's just really sexually immoral. There's no rules. People just do whatever. Impurity, lust, evil desire. I mean, people are constantly making each other feel less than, right? That's what Paul's talking about here. The sort of attitude towards sex that makes people feel like, uh, you know, objectified and belittled and used rather than valued and loved and treasured. Uh, Where everyone's greedy, right? Where people are constantly trying to one-up each other and prove that they have better possessions, better homes, better lives. There's just this spirit of like bitter competition and, and getting ahead and everyone's trying to get ahead of one another. So, imagine there's a place like that, right? Um, or, um, and, and we're like, let's read on too, where people are lying and, and full of anger, malice, filthy language, wrath, like where people are cruel to each other. Um, you know, think about a place where there's, where bullies are allowed to just keep living in their bullying, right? Keep, keep living that way. Or imagine that there's a place um, that's more like verses 12. There's another city in your area, you know, a few miles away, right? Um, that's more like verses 12 through 17. Paul says, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance, just as the Lord has forgiven you, and put on love. So, imagine a place where people love each other, are kind to one another. When we, when we do wrong to each other, we, we forgive, and we're gentle and humble. You know, we're not... Everyone's not just out to prove how great they are and how they're, how much better they are than everyone else, but people are actually looking out for each other's welfare. We actually want other people to succeed and to do well and to have good, meaningful lives. Like, this is a community where people support one another and are united for a common purpose. And most of all, they love each other. Um, so, imagine those two towns. Like, which town would you rather live in? Which of these sounds more appealing? You know, this town where everyone's um, objectifying each other and and competing to try and prove they're better than one another, or this place where everyone lifts each other up, bears each other's burdens, um, loves each other, is willing to forgive and 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 support one another and 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 live for each other's common good. I suppose I'm back to what everybody does when they preach passages like this? I mean, the answer is obvious, right? Which of these should you desire more? Well, the 
the good one, like the good town, right? That's where, where, where we should land. That's what we should want. But do you really want that type of existence? Do you really want to, would you really want to live in that type of town? Um, you're supposed to want to live in the town of humility, compassion, kindness, and patience, but look at what Paul says in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Paul's telling us, like, look, you are a resurrected being. You've been raised with Christ, if you trust him. You carry about the death of resurrection with you, and yet there's things that are earthly in you that you need to be putting to death. So all those those selfish desires that Paul talks about at the beginning of that passage, those are there. They're present with us. And if we're honest, those are things that we want on some level. Um you are a resurrected being, but you are still living out your present existence in a jar of clay. You're still weak, but you like to pretend you're not. And sinful attitudes still exist in you. There's a part of you that dreams about living without sexual boundaries and saying exactly what you want to get what you want out of life when you want it, right? These desires though crucified, they're present there in you on some level. And so, what we need to do is actively acknowledge this. In our earthly frame, our desires for ourselves, for impurity, for greed, for getting ahead, for stomping others that get in our way, right? There's also anger, malice, and deceit, this willingness to lie so that we can look good and get ahead. If you're honest, you wonder at times about whether or not you're missing out on something, on some experience, whether it's some experience if you had more money or some experience if you had less uh, boundaries, sexual boundaries or something like that, right? We think, oh, what, you know, it's the same thing Adam and Eve faced in the garden, right? We don't want to put off these sinful, desi- sinful selfish desires. Why? Because, well, we might be missing out on something, right? Did God actually say, right? We sort of think that same way. So, Paul's here to remind you of what you already know but need to be reminded of again and again, that the pleasure and security that these desires promise to secure for us is a facade. It doesn't last. Paul says, in fact, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. So, the practices Paul outlines in verses 5 through 9 result in communities, families, villages, whole towns tearing themselves apart. Unbridled sexual license and untamed angry speech result in the breakdown of relationships at every level. Some people may fool themselves into thinking that they have, they'll have a good time in that atmosphere, but again and again, in moments of truth, they will admit that they are lost, confused, lonely, and bitter. So there's some of you listening who fit that bill. If that's you, let me encourage you to do, in the clearest terms possible, what you already know you need to do to repent and believe, to turn from that way of thinking and trust Christ to raise you, to give you a view of the world that would say, no, I want to live in this world that promotes the good of others, that that points them to their renewed reality and their renewed identity, their resurrected identity, right? Um, let's embrace who God has made us to be in Christ. Paul said earlier in Colossians 2, and you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, you've died with Christ. But God made you alive together with him for having forgiven us all our trespasses. In other words, before trusting Christ, you were spiritually dead. You were a zombie walking about with the curse of spiritual death hanging over your head. But now that you've trusted Jesus, you're dead in a new way. You have died 
your life is hidden with Christ and God. In other words, by trusting Jesus, the curse of death that hangs over you because of these sinful attitudes has been satisfied. And the spirit of the resurrected Jesus who conquered sin in the grave lies in you. You've put off the old self and put on the new and you're being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. In other words, God's, God has freed you to a new renewed existence. You can launch out into the world with God's eternal plan of reconciliation at hand, with his desire to bring his love, his justice, his beauty, his kindness to bear, to actually make the world a better place, to actually bring order and beauty and benefit to broken places. And it starts with you, starts with your family, it starts with the places that God has placed you. Um, It's a good and renewed vision. It's really, really good news. It's really, really good news for this time as we celebrate Christmas and we think about God taking on human flesh and dwelling among us. I hope you've caught something of a vision. Um, I'll probably going to be taking a break for Christmas here, um, but then we'll be back with you to talk a little bit more about identity and, uh, and we'll start a new a new series here on on, uh, on Bible Thump. Um, but uh, I know um, there will still be Bible Thump content every week. But uh, I'll take a small break. I'll personally be taking a small break for Christmas. But until then, um, thanks for listening, and I hope you know that Jesus loves you, nerd.